In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Gospel lesson this morning is one of the few stories from Jesus' life and ministry, apart from his death and resurrection, that appears in some form with some variations in all four Gospels. Obviously, this story had been remembered and circulated among the many early Christian communities and was considered especially significant by the four writers of the Gospels. In John's Gospel, the story takes place in Bethany, in the home of Lazarus and his two daughters, Martha and Mary. Jesus is on his way with his disciples to Jerusalem to observe the Passover. Bethany is only two miles from Jerusalem, on a hill that overlooks the holy city. Apparently, Lazarus and his family have invited Jesus and his friends to stop over for dinner before they troop down the hill to their destination. But I believe the occasion of this dinner is much more than a casual stopover. For just recently, Jesus has performed the most dramatic, astounding miracle of his ministry. He has raised his beloved friend Lazarus, whom he has wept over when he hears of his death. He has raised Lazarus from the dead, and not just on his deathbed, but after he has been entombed for four days. I believe this dinner party is a feast of thanksgiving, a celebration of what Jesus has done. It is a banquet for Jesus and his disciples who are traveling with him and are there with him. Here, sitting at the head of the table as the host, is Lazarus himself, fit as a fiddle and no doubt radiating the joy of his new life. Good old hardworking Mary is still in the kitchen cooking up this feast and is the one who presents it and serves the honored guest. John, in his gospel, unlike Luke in his particular story of Martha and Mary, does not unfavorably contrast their interaction and response to Jesus. In this story, Martha and Mary are equally engaged in providing the most gracious hospitality to Jesus and his friends. Martha, probably because she was the elder sister, has the honor of preparing and serving this splendid supper. No sense of her being condemned for any misdirected fussiness at this point. Martha is simply fulfilling her role, fulfilling to what we might dare say her ministry, her many gifts of providing hospitality. Mary takes on the role of hospitality that is frequently mentioned in the Gospels, of washing her guests' feet after their dusty travels and anointing them with perfume. Who needs guests with smelly feet at the dinner table? 
But in this case, Mary, which is probably characteristic of her enthusiastic younger sister personality, goes over the top in fulfilling this role. She takes a whole pound of rare, costly perfume, nard, imported all the way from Nepal, and she pours it over Jesus' feet. A whole pound is no little bottle of Chanel number no. five. How big would a bottle that weighed a pound really be? But in this most extravagant action of all, she then lets down her hair, literally, and wipes Jesus' feet with her tresses. The story says the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, I bet. But suddenly, the room is filled with something else, the shock and indignation of the disciples that is voiced by one of them, Judas Iscariot. At that moment, Judas is not the betrayer. He is the recognized spokesperson for Jesus' crew. Judas was the naturally recognized spokesperson for this occasion because he was the treasurer of this devoted community. He kept the common purse of money, probably donated by more affluent followers of Jesus for their expenses and perhaps for whatever alms they wished to give for those in need as they traveled about. Judas blurts out in a rage, what's going on here? What a waste. This perfume could have been sold for 300 denarii, which was the equivalent of an entire year's wages for the average person in the Palestine of Jesus. It could have fulfilled our supposed mission of giving to the poor. Jesus, with Mary no doubt trembling at his feet, harshly shouts out to Judas and all those who were present thinking the same thoughts, leave her alone. He then commends Mary's action, does not condemn it. He declares, she is doing me a good service. She is anointing me and preparing me for my burial. These words of Jesus must have been as shocking and disturbing to the assembled followers as Mary's extravagant action. Jesus knew that he was on his way to Jerusalem to die. His disciples knew that it was risky and dangerous for Jesus to go to Jerusalem at the time of the Passover, but they were still rather clueless as to what was going to happen there, what Jesus would accomplish there. This gospel story is so significant because it portrays Mary as the first one who understands the full purpose of Jesus' ministry, his true calling. Her action is the confession of faith that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, that's what that title means, who would suffer and die so that sin and death would be defeated 
and we could experience the same resurrection to eternal life that her father Lazarus had experienced. Peter had confessed that Jesus was the Christ much earlier in Jesus' ministry. But Peter would not accept that suffering and death was going to be a part of Jesus' call. That is why Jesus sharply rebuked Peter, get behind me, Satan, don't stop me from accomplishing my God-given purpose. I think Jesus' reprimand to Judas and all his disciples who are in a continual state of denial was the same. He's saying, get behind me, Satan. Don't stand in my way. Be like Mary. Stand with me. Love me and follow me to the end. Mary, in many ways, is the first true Christian, the first to truly grasp and believe in Jesus as the Christ, the anointed Savior of the world. That is why Matthew and Mary conclude this story, Mark conclude this story with Jesus proclaiming, truly I tell you, wherever this good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. While the disciples sit in baffled silence, Judas, makes a fateful decision. According to Matthew's gospel, immediately following this disturbing dinner party, Judas goes to the chief priests and hatches a plot to betray Jesus. We so often speak of Judas' betrayal of Jesus, but I also feel that Judas felt betrayed by Jesus. This wasteful act of anointing was the last straw, and Jesus' comments were no less offensive to him. Judas dares to challenge Jesus and is publicly rebuked and humiliated before his whole company of disciples. I believe Judas, as did most of Jesus' disciples, followed Jesus because they were convinced he was God's promised Messiah who would miraculously, perhaps even violently, deliver Israel from the oppressive Roman occupation and create a new society, a new kingdom in which liberty and justice for all, especially the poor and the downtrodden, would prevail. And they would have a prominent leadership role in that kingdom. He was looking for a triumphant Messiah, not a suffering servant Messiah. The words and actions of Jesus that brought him to a, were a betrayal of his hopes and dreams, of sharing in the leadership of this new society as a devoted disciple. In a fit of rage and resentment, he betrays Jesus to the priestly authorities. An action, according to the gospel accounts, he would later fatally regret. 
What are we to make of Jesus' astounding acceptance and commendation of Mary's extravagant gift and action? And his baffling words, really, in light of all of his teaching about the importance of helping the poor. You always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. I agree with the Anglican biblical scholar N.T. Wright, who writes, the only explanation is that Jesus believed that his coming death would be the action through which the world as a whole, including the world of poverty and all the injustices that went with it, would finally be put to rights. Mary was the first to get it. Jesus calls us to remember her and share in her discovery and response. Today is the last Sunday of Lent. It is so fitting that this gospel story appears as we enter into the contemplation of those horrible yet transforming events of Holy Week, the passion of Jesus. Are we like Mary, ready to fully embrace the nonviolent way of the cross? Are we ready to relive those events during Holy Week and walk with Jesus to the cross? I believe the extravagant devotion of Mary is first and foremost an extravagant act of worship, an expression of her overwhelming gratitude for Jesus, for delivering her father, and for his willingness to die to deliver us all. Observing Holy Week is a call to extravagant worship, to spend a whole week, especially in attending the Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter vigil liturgies, in acts of contemplation and loving devotion, that we may enter into full-throated praise and thanksgiving for his glorious liberating resurrection on Easter, the day to pull out all the stops in expressing our love to him. Mary is also the ultimate model of a true disciple of Jesus for us to follow. That is why we are to remember her. Her ministry is one of extravagant hospitality. In many ways, her washing and anointing Jesus' feet as an act of humble yet extravagant hospitality is a precursor of Jesus washing his disciples' feet at the Last Supper. Jesus, in that action, clearly demonstrates that he is the Messiah who has come to serve. And it is his model of servant ministry that is to be the ultimate ministry of all his disciples, including us. It is interesting to me that Matthew places this story of the anointing of Jesus' feet at a dinner party in Bethany, which Bethany translates as the house of the poor. He places this story right after Jesus tells the parable of the kingdom, where all who feed the hungry, welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, visit the poor, 
will be welcome into a new society, his kingdom. Because you have done it to the least of these, you have done it to me. A passage that should leave no doubt about Jesus' priority for the poor in his kingdom. The gospel writers are also saying, are we like Mary, prepared to be extravagant in our hospitality to each other, to the poor, the homeless, the stranger, the immigrants in our midst? Are we prepared to be extravagant in our love and devotion to Jesus by being totally committed to serving the least of these? By persevering in tackling the chronic homelessness in our city, the growing income inequality in our nation, the hatred and prejudice toward the other that is so prevalent in our world. When we do so, we are showing our love for him. So let us, like Mary, like Paul in our epistle this morning, in hope and devotion, press on toward the goal for the prize of the call of God in Christ Jesus, his call to servant ministry, which will lead us to sharing in his kingdom of love and justice for all. Amen.